0: I know what people who listen to Toby Haydoke's Who's Round have in mind, but not welcome. It's a sunny day in Bolton, and... Uh, it's a delight for me to speak to somebody that's been in Doctor Who in both its original incarnation and its latest one. So I'm going to ask her to tell me who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who. Uh, my name is Janet Henfrey,
1: and I met a very quick and sticky end in the last Doctor Who I did. Um, I think I was the first victim on the Orange Express and
0: uh, <laughs> went out very quickly... <laughs> And then prior to that, you also met a sticky end. uh, I certainly did. But a a, a longer stint there with The Curse of Fenric in the last series of Doctor Who,
1: It was a long time ago, and some girls who went into the sea came out of it with very strange talents, and as I vaguely remember, I haven't seen it since, um, (laughs) tore me to shreds in my
0: armchair. It was. You were a, a, a horrible, sort a horrible lady who'd taken in a couple of East End evacuees, and uh, oh, that, And they, they have... had their revenge. I they guess. did. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't let them go yeah. swimming. I think you called them harlots and all sorts. And so, when they became vampiric, they they had their way with oh, you. That's right. That's right. They certainly did. You yeah. got to you got to lecture Nicholas Parsons as well on on the ways of the Bible, which was interesting because he'd not really acted for for a long while really, and it was his return to straight right. acting. So. Right. Well, he's still going strong mm-hmm. on. Uh, on
1: uh, not just just a minute. Just a minute. That's right. That's right. Yes, uh, I
0: hear him often. And that was that was all. Uh, that was a rare doctor that was all shot on location as well. Yes, so that unusual. It was. Yes, it was. Um,
1: well, certainly my part was. And uh, yes, I haven't. Uh, I've met up with uh, Sophie Aldred since at a. Convention or something somewhere, but I've I haven't crossed paths with Sylvester since, which is sad. But he's still busy and at it, I believe.
0: He is indeed. And what so? What was he like at the time as a as a, as a doctor? He oh, like delightful! I thought he was delightful.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: And it was it was towards the end of. of the, Doctor Who's original stint on, on television—it was about to come to an end. Were you aware that it was, it was no, no, I wasn't aware it was on its way out. No, because of course you've done so much. Um, so when you came back to it, um, I guess that was just a quick, quick yes. one day, was it? I think
1: it—I think it was one day. Yes, it was, and all in the studio. And did you get to meet Mr. Capaldi? No, I oh, didn't. Oh, sadly, 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 I didn't actually get to meet Tim um, but um, Timlik Wertenbaker who wrote the play that we're doing currently doing um, I think he's a great friend of hers and they they live in Crouch end and uh, I live quite near there too so so I may yet cross paths
0: with him in uh, Sainsbury's or whatever. I used to, I, I, in fact, I had a line in my last show before he was cast as Doctor Who, because I, I lived in Crouch End, and I used to say I'm always tripping over Capaldi on the way to Tesco's. There's a Tesco's, there's not a Sainsbury's, uh, and a Budgeons, uh, and I used to see him all the time, actually. Um, but I guess that's, that's, before we move away from Doctor Who, that, that, that experience of new Doctor Who and old Doctor Who is, is the change Television that has happened between then and now is, is that if you, even if you'd done that part you did in the last Doctor Who, um, you'd have all rehearsed it for a week. You would have met cast who you perhaps were yes. in scenes with and all of yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. No, that's gone. It's all instant. And actors, <laughs> as you have done, all get very get, always get misty-eyed at that idea of a week's rehearsal. Do, do we, the audience, well, miss out on anything with the actors not having that now, or is it is it is it more for us?
1: I. Don't. That's a hard one, I don't really know but it's a, it's a different technique, it's a different approach. Uh, certainly we enjoyed the rehearsal period and getting to know each other a bit and and perhaps giving it a bit more depth than it might have if it's sort of instant on the day.
0: But it's, it's all a bit of fun really. So, Well, it's been a bit of fun that... Uh, ah. You've been having since um, I think you were at RADA in nineteen fifty nine. Is that right? Uh, you graduated. Yes, indeed. Yeah? indeed so, I so, did. So, so tell me about you, Janet. What's your your background, and and was it always go? I because I know you studied at Oxford first. So it was acting not a not not always going to be the way. Um, I'd always wanted to do it, but
1: um, I was. Uh, painfully shy in those days, but I spent a year in America, which sort of cured me, and I actually went to drama school on the American intake, because I thought I'd got to give it a go to see whether I could. And once I was at drama school, although I was very, it was, it was a time when you, you know, it was a time when you had to be fashionable, you had to be very pretty and I was always a character actress and always played old ladies through drama school (laughs) and got into terrible voice habits, but there you are. (laughs) And it was all a long time ago. And uh, I feel I've been very, very lucky in uh, the chances I've had. I was one of the lucky ones who were learning their craft in the 60s in rep. most of which don't exist anymore. Um, You went to rep for a season and you were cast in whatever was needed. So I played old and young, straight and character and, and really learnt my trade, you might say. I mean, I spent a year in the 60s uh, at Nottingham, which was then run by John Neville with Judy Dent as the la- leading lady. A wonderful cast of people: John Shrapnel, Donald Sutner, Alan Dosser, uh, you know, uh, Edward Hardwick, Harold Innocent, to say nothing of John Neville himself and and Judy, of course. So I feel that was I was very very lucky and. And one thought, being at the beginning of one's career, one thought it was always going to be like
0: that. Well, prior to that, you worked with Olivier, hadn't
1: you? Oh, yes, I had. I had. That was my second job in the (laughs) theatre. Again, very, very lucky, thanks to Peter Rogers. I had to do three auditions, and Olivier just came to the last one, and he stopped me on both pieces, and I thought, oh, well, that's that. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, in fact, I did get into that amazing and wonderful company, um, understanding the old ladies <laughs> and playing bits and pieces, and uh, yes, what a lucky way to start in the theatre. And someone like Sybil Thorndike talking about, um, talking about love love for a project that was bigger than any single person in that company it was the very first company at chichester so um, they were all friends of sirs as we we called him sir lawrence and um would have done anything for him and uh, it was a wonderful way to start and to get to get a proper sense of the values that go into
0: our privileged profession. But, st- but very much one gets the impression still a very much, even though a, a united company for the love of it, there's very much a hierarchy of, uh, of, of actors or, or not? A, a
1: didn't feel like no. that, didn't feel like that at all. Um, Olivia could really only, there were about five or six of us perhaps who were doing all the understudying and running around and uh, carriage awaits and all that sort of thing and uh, he'd seen us for you know a few minutes at our audition but when he went round the circle introducing everybody he was faultless on everybody's names just he was came in just as quickly with my name as with Sybil Thorndykes or, <laughs> no, Joan Greenwood, anyone else, anyone else there. And that is really how how the company worked. There were three hierarchies of pay. The top one was, I think, I think the top one was 60. You know? The top, all those stars getting 60 pounds a week, and then the next one was... 40 and we were on 30, something like that. And then I went back to getting 10 pounds a week, which was the norm for those days. So all that sort of small thing that made it really feel
0: difference. like a family. And why was he such a good actor then, Olivier? Why? Well, he
1: was. his technique was faultless and he was just born to it and he loved doing it. He could improvise in blank verse I remember during The Broken Heart by John Ford uh, he was not infrequently off script but never <laughs> faltered for one minute and was never indulgent with the script I remember we put on um, two minutes or something in the first um, ten performances or so and he called us all in the interval to the greenwood below the stage and said you know um don't words to the effect of don't, don't be so self-indulgent trust trust the writer and just get on with it if you don't don't stop to think about what he means just do it if you don't know I, that kind of thing you know um, I think any any one of us youngsters would have um, jumped off Beastie Head for him if he'd asked us to do that. (laughs) He was just that kind of charismatic leader of a company. And then, of course, he went on to form the National Theatre. Well,
0: Andre Morel was in that production. That's right, he was.
1: With um, Joan Greenwood. With with Joan, with dear Joan, his wife, yes. And one felt they were a bunch of old friends. And, of course, he made a great success of it. And it had its teething problems acoustically. It had to be relined before we'd actually opened, um, that kind of thing. And from then on, I went up to uh, Pitlockery with James Rose Evans, mm. And then on to open the Hampstead Theatre Club in its original almost like a little Nissen hut but James got it on the map with no public funding I don't think and we opened that in the terrible winter must have been 62 was it? I think so. Um, And so I've just been I've been very very lucky in how I started out then getting to the Royal Shakespeare Company and um, Peggy Ashcroft, who I met there, though I was never in a play with her there. But thanks to her, I did my first West End play, Lloyd George Knew My Father. And thanks to her, I did The Singing Detective. Because although I had played a, a very similar part in a previous Dennis Potter television play, um, Potter had wanted Peggy to play the part of this horrible school teacher herself. And Peggy by then was, uh, I, she couldn't have coped with it physically, I don't think, at that point. But she didn't just say, no, thank you. She said, no, thank you. I think you should see Janet Henfrey. I'm sure John Emile, the director, had never heard of Janet Henfrey at that point. But because Peggy suggested
0: it, he did say, see me. Well, the rest is history, as well, it were. How funny, because you would look at that as a historian, say, and go, well, Janet Hemphrey yeah. played this part in Nigel Barton, which you also did on stage, you also did Nigel Barton oh, yes, on stage, yes, didn't you? Yes, And so you'd go, well, this is obviously Dennis Potter's go-to person for this sort of character. So then, of course, it's a sort of, not a, in a, a, you know, a, a continuation of that for the senior detective, but you came up for it from a completely different angle. Yes. Well, might have fallen back on me, but, but, but it was Peggy that instigated it. Interesting. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nigel Barton was quite um, controversial at the time. I mean, do you remember that those? Yes, I do, and I remember the
1: recording of it because um, I was due to go up to Nottingham. In fact, I was already a bit late for going up to Nottingham. And we recorded the whole thing. You recorded... It was black and white, of course, and you recorded all in one go. You didn't... um, uh, And we got to the end of the recording and found that not a sound had been recorded so we had a coffee break and did the whole thing again <laughs> and I thought Keith Barron was amazing because I was very new to television and, uh, and he was such a clever uh, technician with cameras he knew exactly what he was doing which camera he was on which I've never been able to conquer really?
0: really? despite all the work you've done on on... I haven't done that much. Most of my work's
1: been in the theatre, actually. I do value the things I've done. Um, A lot of things like The Singing Detective, which was amazing, quite amazing. Um, Those scripts. Um, Dennis Potter must have hated this woman, really. I never had the chance to ask him about her. But she obviously haunted him all his life, this teacher. Um, who did it for the best of reasons, I'm sure, by her standards. But uh, no, she was not not a, not a
0: nice lady at all. Um. And if, if Nigel, Nigel Burton was a relatively early teller, but you'd done, done TV for people like Joan Craft, hadn't you? You've done a, uh,
1: Oh, yes, in the old days of black and white. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you've done your homework very well, too. Yes. Well, <laughs> the least tiger. I can do. Oh, uh, she was lovely. Yes, I did some good. small Dickens with her and uh, Silas Marner, yeah. I seem to remember. And, Oh, yes, being in bed with Robbie Mark- Barker. I remember <laughs> being Roddy Barker's wife. In- oh yes, that was,
0: was that yeah. Tale of, yes. two, was Theses, yes, Tale of was. two Cities maybe? Yes, I Patrick think it was. Tale of Two Cities, was in as a Doctor it's Who Definitely, lives. Patrick
1: Troughton, who used to bring his recorder to rehearsals. And uh, in the lunch breaks at this British Legion place somewhere in Parsons Green, I think, in the lunch break he used to get into the garden and play his recorder. It was delightful.
0: <laughs> Actors always seem to rate Patrick Trouton as the, as the doctor they like the best, I mean yeah. he, he seems to have been a very very highly regarded character actor, Troughton, for television, yes. on screen particularly, he didn't do theatre really.
1: I don't, I don't know, I didn't know him that well, but, um, and of course his son has done very well too, David. No. Um,
0: yes, well Pat, Patrick famously said he didn't like theatre because it was shouting in the evenings, no. uh, and he, prefer, he preferred to do television and go home and have a drink. <laughs> Well, he had something there, perhaps. (laughs) But you sort of mentioned that that theatre is, I mean, you've worked for the RSC, you've worked for the the National, you've worked for directors like Terry Hans and Trevor Nunn, and Mm. when you did the National, interesting female directors, Deborah Warner and Marianne Elliott. So, So who are the directors that you feel have have, have pulled the best work from you, or um, you've done the best work with?
1: Certainly John Emil, for a start. He kept me to the straight and narrow, didn't let me soften her at all. And I think in retrospect, he was absolutely right. Um, Who else was coming to mind? Well, I think Olivia was inspirational, but I wasn't actually directed and understudied by him. There was a wonderful woman. Buzz Goodbody who was uh, directing at Stratford when I was there and um, I think she was quite wonderful. I've worked with a lot of young directors since then who've been marvellous people like Abby Wright and Caroline Steinbeis and, uh, in, in my day because I had a hand at directing because at the RSC you're given the opportunity if you want it to direct short plays at the end of the season and it was Judy actually said you learn so much about acting yourself if you're directing other people which I think is true and uh, I wanted to do a little Lorca play but David Jones talked me out of that and suggested this play by somebody i would never heard of called Howard Brinton it's Mm. called gum and goo and uh, Howard had very recently won the John Writing Award and lovely um, Homer uh, Holt. Anyway, she came to see these and she s- suggested we moved straight away to um, the open space. So uh, so that was very nice for the actors. It was a beautiful little one-act play. And so I got to know Howard. His lovely wife Jane a bit, and still loosely in touch. They were living opposite ends of London, and so that was that was lovely. But um, I did another play at the Soho Poly's. It was then directing Margaret Durrant's play. And oh, actually before that, I did one called The City by my very good Greek friend called Lula Anagnostaki called The City, which had been done on the radio by... Um, <laughs> anyway, it had been done on the radio, uh, um, but not in the theatre. And then people started presuming I had given up acting and was going to direct. Well, in those days, for a woman, and i just had my daughter, who was just a few months old, um, I, it was very it was hard to be a director witness what happened to Buzz Goodbody, um, but uh, and I wasn't ready to fight the battles that that generation of young women had to fight, so I withdrew from that.
0: For oh <laughs> the, the, the listener who may not know, that Buzz Goodbody took her own life, didn't she, having, having mm. shown great promise as a... As mm. a didn't she directed yes. Kingsley's Hamlet. Yes. I mean, also.
1: obviously there were other considerations that drove us to that point, but uh, it, it, it was very tough for women in those days, and I think things have vastly improved since then. Uh, even for older actors, witness a play with eight women yes. actresses yes. in it, that yes. I'm currently doing, but, but, six of whom are of a certain age of which I'm much the
0: eldest. <laughs> well it reminded me, because I, when I saw the, the poster for it, which was was uh, several women on a hill, it reminded me of She'll Be Wearing Pink Pyjamas, that was also uh-huh. lots of women. Yes, uh, uh, that's It was true. A, a Channel 4 film with Julie Walters then... and Maureen O'Brien, who is a Doctor Who alumnus. And, uh, and one token male crumpet. Anthony Higgins, well, and yes. Anthony called himself. <laughs> <laughs> But that went through a phase of seeming to be on Channel 4 all the time, that film. They get yes, they
1: were supposed to only show it twice, I think, in the original contract, and suddenly it was noticed that they'd played it four times and never, never approached us. <laughs> Sadly, one of, our, one of our group gave in and succumbed to the extra payment, because I think it was fairly minimal and we should have had them over a barrel for, <laughs> the, for the abuse of the contract.
0: Not the first and not the last time that has happened. I don't think. I don't suppose it is. <laughs> but it
1: was. Oh, we did have such fun on that play. Julie Walters just gold dust, and uh, we all uh, we all had we had withdrawal symptoms when we finished the filming. And used to meet. It didn't last very long, but for a while we met at Joe Allen's for our for our G and T's and our get-togethers, <laughs> and gossip swap. <laughs> And, uh, and and it was so beautiful. I love the Lake District anyway. anyway. And we took over this motel and uh, that's where that famous joke was played on the, on the director. When there was a nude, you must remember that there was going to be a nude scene uh, to be shot in the shower room. And uh, we hoaxed the producers into thinking that Peter Pluvier had put through this then um, then uh, General Secretary of Equity. Um, somebody's husband, who should be nameless, <laughs> uh, who's gone to a better place now actually, darling, Dougie, um, pretended to be Pluvier, Peter Pluvier and rang up and said that um, uh, the The Equity Women's uh, Committee had just passed a a motion, and it was, and it was backed up by Bex, that if there was a nude scene to be shot, that as many uh, actors as were in the company, the technicians had to be in the same state of undress. (laughs) Filming was postponed for quite a while. Ah, We couldn't believed that they had actually swallowed it. Look, line and sinker. And it was to be shot on a Saturday morning so there was no way they could check up by ringing Peter Pluvier, <laughs> in which case we would have been up the creek. So, so anyway, in the, in the long term, a very beautiful camera man, Clive Tickner, did do the whole works, but he was sitting down. <laughs> I think the director took his shirt off and the sun guy got down to his underpants, but um, they didn't get their champagne. Only Clive got his champagne, and we drank the rest. <laughs> and then whoever did a very brave thing had the had the Polaroid. It's the days of still had Polaroid. Um, um, they were allowed to have the Polaroid of
0: Clive to sleep with under their pillow. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, did, did you? Uh, film is very different even from you know television with cameras in the electronic studio do, do you enjoy filming the single, single camera in the, in the I loved of
1: that because it was continuous we were all in all the time it wasn't just a little snippet that you had to build up all the adrenaline for and then it was gone in the moment which is a much more usual situation for me um, though we just had a lot of Fun. I think it would have been a much better film if the director had let us improvise a bit on the script because uh, the woman who wrote it I think had the very basis of very good ideas but she was a journalist and she, it didn't free it up and if I think if with that cast, if we'd been allowed to improvise a bit on the script it would have been a lot more interesting as a film and it was very badly marketed, so it never really
0: made it on a big screen. But we did have a lot of fun. And um, before I, I sort of, because you've done so much, I want to sort of throw it to you to, 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 to dictate some of the things that you've particularly enjoyed, but uh, the, um, there's a Doctor Who connection to the Alice in Wonderland that you did, uh, where you played the Queen of Hearts because it was done by Barry Letts, mm. who uh, was a producer of Doctor Who. And...
1: Oh, I loved Barry Letts. And... And uh, that again was such fun, but it was done in, I think it's called green screen, you know, with yeah. no. So that made one very sort of technically aware of, because there was no set, so I remember, or no marker, that I, I can't remember exactly. It ended up, and it was a lovely cast and, with a mad hatter, and I'd played i played the Red Queen before, actually, in the theatre, at Bristol, Old Vic, and it should have been marvellous, but somehow it just didn't work, and I think the Alice uh, on screen looked too old, but it was Barry's farewell to the BBC, so
0: I was sorry for his sake, it hadn't worked. Well, and uh, Michael Wisher—he used a lot, and he was at Raja oh, with you, I think. Yes, Michael, he was,
1: dear yeah, Michael. Yes, indeed.
0: And, and he was a favourite of Barry's, and has um, a, a place in Doctor Who history because he was Davros, the creator of the Daleks. Michael, so. yes, he, yeah, yeah. I excellent actor. That. Yeah. I've forgotten that. Mm-hmm. So, but. so often when I do this, um, actors sort of m- mourn the loss of the way things used to be done and, 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 and think that the way things are now and the future is, is, is not necessarily bright. Is that just the nature of an actor or have you seen... Or what have, I'm sort of interested in the changes oh, that you've observed over the, over the course of your career to an actor's lot.
1: Well, for a start, the, on the plus side, I think the teaching at drama school is hundred times better. Um, I mean, they have people teaching, uh, my main experience is rather because I'm a buddy there, which means one's a sort of mentor to a third-year student, uh, which I enjoy hugely. And their standards are of are amazing, the standard of the students they turn out. Quite, they make me feel... Knocked out really and and one just prays that they will have the opportunities, they won't have the opportunities we had. On the bad side, I think it's the the death of rep is my greatest sadness. Uh, You know, it used to be that every every small town had the rep. When I was first at Bristol, there were at least three theatres running then. And then suddenly everything... The Bristol Vic had three auditoriums, and suddenly it all went dark for two years. The most beautiful theatre in England was shut. Nothing happening for two years. Unbelievable. Things are better now. But nowhere can afford to employ actors for a season, nowadays, which means you are cast for a play which fits you, your personality. And your age group and your type. So you never get stretched in the way that we were as youngsters, which I think is a huge loss. And I mean, I didn't do any telly I didn't even have an agent my first 10 years in the business I, I even I even negotiated a fee with Michael Codron myself <laughs> for the dresser which um, which uh, was interesting um, but nowadays you can't do anything without an agent you don't know what's happening and uh, and uh, but even agents don't have that much of a free reign because uh, directors usually know who they want already and casting directors are not imaginative enough to tell you a few stories there but I won't, <laughs> I won't <laughs> do that um, um, so I am a bit sad as the box but coming to somewhere like Bolton, where you have a dynamic and most wonderful young woman director, Elizabeth Newman. And I'd never been to Bolton before and wouldn't likely, in my advanced years, take myself away from home for eight eight weeks and too far away to get back at weekends, really, for mi- equity minimum money. Um, But A, of course, I wanted to do anything written by Timberlake and B, Elizabeth not only cared so passionately about the play but she cares so deeply about theatre in Bolton and God knows there isn't much else in Bolton for, uh, in the way of community, getting together activity. And she has made this theatre absolutely seminal to the community of Bolton. And that in itself is worth contributing to.
0: And, and as you say, it takes a lot, I think, to, 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 to get actors um, to, to travel for theatre, particularly. Yes. So, but you have and, in this and, cast, and, you and have... And there's a
1: young woman who's actually come here, who I was, was talking to last night, and she's, come, she's done six productions here because of Elizabeth. Wow. So it's, um, and, and, the fi- and the whole, and it's not only the artistic director, she's the executive director. There's not many places that people that can fulfil both those roles the way she has fulfilled them and does fulfil them. And that atmosphere goes through the whole staff, the whole team at the, of, at the Bolton, um, so it's a, it's a very respected part of the community, with, with strong council backing and so on.
0: Well, you've been a stone throwaway at the place I've worked a number of times, the Manchester Royal Exchange. You did oh, the, yes. the Dresser with Tom Courtney and Freddie Jones. I did indeed, but not at Manchester. Was that not at Manchester? No, I took it over
1: uh, in London ah. because Carol Gillis was quite ill at the time right, right. and in fact didn't recover. But, uh, and she and I overlapped a good deal. And in fact, um, I actually went to her agent after she had got ill and subsequently died, um, Ken McCready. Oh, much loved, Ken McCready, yes, now, yes. now called the Artist Partnership, um, and Ken retired. Um, yes, I love working at the Exchange, and I was in Manchester yesterday because Fiona, this youngster who's worked here so much, very nobly came and helped me buy an iPad. Oh. So we went to St Anne's Square before we came back. And it was uh, very quiet, very crowded. An absolute sea of flowers and balloons, as everybody has seen on the television. And a wonderful spirit. Mm. Wonderful spirit.
0: Yes, we live in interesting times. Um, and of course, as we record this, uh, funny enough, I've just released... The uh, podcast interview I did with Trevor Cooper, which which we recorded at around about the time of the last election, I think, um, and we're about to have an election. Do you think? Do you think? Um, you know, there's a lot of talk now about um, my partner's an actress with a certain amount of profile, and 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 when actors get in, involved in politics, it's always been seen as a way of highlighting political issues. But very recently, there seems to have been a sort of backlash against. That what the newspapers describe as the sort of metropolitan London elite telling ordinary people what to think. Do you think do you, do you think it's important that the arts grapple with political situations and artists grapple with political situations or do you think this thing should be set Political
1: situations Ooh, with a small p yes because as somebody says in this play you know no. everything's political actually if you start to think about it and um, Jeremy Corbyn is my MP and I believe passionately in everything that Germany stands for. Uh, so I am, am very willing to... And I'm very sad, in a way, to be away from London at a time when, uh, when our Labour Party ward is being very active.
0: And, uh, well, as really record cool. it is. It's just had a bit of a surge. Uh, some ground has been made. Yes, yes. And I know lots of people don't believe in him as
1: a leader, and one wouldn't think of him uh, in other times as necessary, having that quality. Um, But, if you think of Tony Blair, the last successful Labour leader, who we all believed in so passionately initially, where did he get us, where we would like to be? I would say, in my opinion. <laughs> so, uh, it, that's a hard question, David. I haven't really answered it. Um, I didn't think actors would ever presume to tell people what they think. They can only tell people what they, they themselves think. And if other people are influenced by that, fine. But I would never proselytise my political opinions. I would talk to people on the doorstep, if I had to, about why I vote the way I vote, and have always voted, um, but I wouldn't go...
0: I would only talk to them, I wouldn't preach at them. Mm-hmm. Well, to, to, to less contentious and if things, looking at all of the work that you've done, and, and it's so easy to enjoy all the stuff you've done on, on the screen of course because it's still there theatre is much more ephemeral what, what, are the, what, are the, what are the jobs that you, you were, when you think about the, well, all the work that you've done that you go, I, cra- I cracked that that was really good or, or you particularly enjoyed and the two don't necessarily oh, uh, yeah, I immediately
1: come to mind Lettuce and Lovage I'd gone, which I did at the West Yorkshire Playhouse with Deborah Norton I had expected to be playing the Maggie Tysak part of Lovitch, so I went dressed in a suit fairly formally, only to find that no, that Deborah was playing Lovitch. <laughs> I was to play the Maggie Smith part. I adored that part. She's so tizzy and eccentric and way out. And <laughs> so that was definitely one of my favourites. And um, another one was Mother Courage which I did in Paris at the time of Vietnam with an American group who were living there at the time. Uh, and I got very into Brecht in a big way and we we continued to work together on Brecht at the Edinburgh festival later that summer. Um, that was very seminal for me. And I wish I'd had the chance to play it again when, after I'd had children. <laughs> I think that would have...
0: Would have informed. Mm.
1: Would have informed. Yes. But um, the director of that, Lee Brewer, went, the group went back to America eventually and they worked. They were an experimental group. I mean, Philip Glass, did the, he was in Paris at the time, did the music with us, the Hans Eisler music and before he went back. and and they formed a company called the Mabu Mines, which was under the umbrella of La Mama Theatre in New York, and they have been at the forefront of the avant-garde theatre in New York ever since, really. Even now, I think. Um, So it was... and we've stayed very close friends since then. Um, what else oh I shall think of lots of <laughs> lots of things <laughs> uh, afterwards, but um I did well, I've enjoyed all the things I did at the royal exchange, but perhaps most most of all um separate tables which I played. I mean, I love the play, the most beautifully crafted play. And Sarah Frankham was so brilliant directing it because a thing which I think actors really respect people for and enjoy is being left to find their own way. But if they meet an obstacle for a director to just give them a clue or open a door which because Mrs. Railton Bell is a pretty horrid character, <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, she's such a bully to her poor daughter, and um, and I did, and I ended up. I actually turned down going to L.A. to do that, <laughs> to do that part, really? because I was persuaded very gently by Sarah, and uh, I never regretted it. Never regretted it. No, I did a play called The Black Rider with uh, Robert Wilson, uh, with music by Tom Waits, the only sort of posh thing I've had to sing in, which was, that was wonderful. But we'd already done it at the Barbican and in San Francisco and uh, in Sydney. And I thought, no, I don't want to do it again. (laughs) 'Cause he's quite a control freak, he's sort from of extraordinary visionary, but he's a, a designer more than a theatre director. But I loved working with musicians
0: as like for the breath too. Well, and National Treasuries is a phrase that's used far too often, but Judy Dench seems to you, or you've followed her, or she's followed you, because you worked I with her very early on, and then you did As Time Goes By, many episodes of that, so... Yes, we
1: had, and we still, we still have reunion lunches, those, those of us who are still left on that, we had one last from As Time, time Goes By? Year. Yes, yes, yes. Which still endures and is huge in America, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it's it good is. Good it's like a little pension. And dear Sidney Lotterby the director, what a treasure. He's 90 now. 90
0: and uh, still wanting to work. And <laughs> <laughs> responsible for such some great, great half hours of, of British yeah. comedy over many years. Absolutely, with the lightest touch. The lightest touch. It was... It
1: was such a happy team that we all looked forward to doing it. So, but sadly, Bob blubby the writer, has
0: died since then, and uh, yeah, well, that one's been laid to rest. But it will run and run. But look, as, as, as this interview is done, so I will draw it to a close because I, you have to be on stage tonight. Yes. Um, I have the two final questions that I asked, The first I've uh, uh, warned you about, which is because you do not get paid for this, you haven't even let me buy you food. She's only had a cup of tea everybody. Oh yes. Um, uh, Yes. What is the charity that you would like to nominate?
1: It's called the International Performers Aid Trust, uh, IPAT for short, and it has a website of its own, um, which you can can identify. This sprung out, I was, I'm proud to say I was a founder member along with people like Peggy Ashcroft of um, a, a subcommittee of equity called the, uh, uh, the International Committee for Artists' Freedom, ICAF for short, which is like Amnesty for Actors. It was a campaigning organisation and it really took off under the Pinochet regime in Chile. I had been in Chile with the Brasovic Victor only two years previously to that terrible coup and knew many of the actors who came. And that is a wonderful thing about the theatre, that uh, that it stands by its own. So many people in the theatre, the Royal Court, the Royal Shakespeare Company, Gordon MacDougall at Oxford, they all created... uh, the need for a Spanish-speaking actor or actress in the next production or a coming production. So these could be produced at their trial because so many actors were picked up and locked up and disappeared, a lot of them tortured. Um, and so a lot of them were, f- I think the regime, Pinochet regime, was only too, too glad to get rid of them and they came here. And they got on with life. Those that couldn't learn English learnt English and made a tour, toured around the universities, and that kind of thing. Um, most of them are back in Chile now. Ones that are still alive, and um, and I'm um, still in constant touch with them. But then that organisation, it suddenly got to a point when Hugh Manning was chair. Uh, where the need was so great, it was time to form a charity, an independent charity, which is quite difficult to set up, and and of course you need funding. But we got a wonderful list of patrons. I mean, Richard Attenborough was our first one, I think. Babe. Alan Rickman became our chair. Uh, uh, our... Pa- uh, uh, Chair, yeah, that's Michael Brangwat, but the uh, 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 president, 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 and he was so hands-on. He was, he was, ill, of course, in his last years, and um, but he made an enormous bequest to, to the charity, and and uh, all the mem- all the donations at his memorial service were given. It was his choice that they go to this charity. So that would be my charity of choice because we are so blessed in this country and um, I guess it was the experience of working with Chilean actors directly that made me aware just how lucky we are to live in a whatever we may think of it as a stable democracy um, despite things like Manchester Arena happening. Um, For the most part we live in a very privileged part of the West and I think uh, we need to appreciate it a bit more than we do really. Um, So for many
0: reasons that would be my charity. That's fabulous choice. Well, people do donate, so hopefully it will benefit uh, from everyone who listens thank to this. Thank you, Toby, very much for that. Uh, well, thank you for your time. And the only question it's the worst question I live to last, uh, <laughs> simply because this is this is convened conveniently to talk about Doctor Who. It's an extraordinary show that has a holdover an awful lot of people. Um, what was your message to the Doctor Who fans out there who've uh, enjoyed both your performances in the show? Oh,
1: well, keep at it, keep watching, and... Uh... Yes, we need you as much as you need us. (laughs) Well,
0: Janet Henfrey, thank you very much. Thank you, Toby. That was great. Thank you very much. I hope that was okay. It was fine. Memory lane. (laughs) Uh, My thanks to Janet, who was working in Bolton with Louise Jameson, and that's how uh, we managed to be put in touch with each other. So thanks to Louise, Janet's charity. Is the Performers Aid Trust? Their website is actingforothers.co.uk. Actingforothers.co.uk. Actingforothers, all one word. Um, if you could donate for that, to that, it would be lovely. Um, there'll be another one of these around uh, right about the same time next week. Uh, keep listening, and thanks for doing so thus far. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydock. Or uh, bloody blah. Cheers. Bye bye. Open skies! Open skies! Open skies! No secret prison! Open skies!
1: Open skies! No secret! Dr. Elizabeth Klein to see Colonel McKenna. I'm expected. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Becoming a familiar face around here, Dr. Klein. Doctor Who?
0: Warlock's cross.
1: Excuse me, gentlemen, is this the way to the Cascade of Crystal Tears and Archimedes 4 Kappa Chevron?
0: I'll take that as a no.
1: Colonel, that isn't necessary.
0: Elizabeth! Long time no see. I know you. Don't I know you? It's you, isn't it? You're the doctor.
1: <laughs> I failed to see the humour in this situation For either of us
0: So long So long, restraint
1: I don't know what your game is, Doctor But I don't have time to play it
0: Last time we met was... Uh, you'll have to excuse me, but when was it? seven years ago seven years three months and 19 days we're going back to Warlock's Cross
1: Big Finish we love stories
0: oh you can't trust stories stories alter with every new telling